We want our employees to be strategic, creative, and take some risks at work. So we as business leaders don't shoulder all the high level work, but this requires psychological safety. How do we make sure our company culture has a balance between psychological safety while also having high expectations? In this episode of Bootstrappers, we will discuss what you need to do to achieve psychological safety for your employees while also having high expectations so your business can thrive. Welcome to the Bootstrapper Show. I am your host, Gwen Aspen, here with my spouse, Jeremy Aspen. And today we're talking about how to create psychological safety with your remote team so you can achieve mind-blowing results. Now, psychological safety is kind of one of those buzzwords in business right now. And politics. Uh, It is a huge thing, and we're talking about how you can achieve that at your organization. And the reason businesses want to promote it is because this is how you get your team members to help you shoulder the strategic responsibilities if you are a business owner um, and be more creative, take more risks, and really do that high level work that helps you stop being in the business and enable business owners to work on the business, not in the business. And so we need our people to step up and feel the psychological security. But in reality, how do we do this? Yeah, how do we do this? It's a <laughs> well, challenge for every single business owner out there, obviously, and and it's kind of a new concept. I think as as the business world has become more what socially responsible, and social media has uh, drawn attention to people who have, make infractions in these arenas. It's just kind of uh, forced businesses to really turn the dial, turn it up a little bit. So, and I think we've seen some instances where the lack of uh, psychological security really resulted in blowback for corporations. So one that I think is a perfect example is the Wells Fargo case where they got in tremendous trouble, where their employees were incentivized and pushed to an extreme to hit KPIs in regards to opening accounts, that people were opening fake accounts and that resulted in terrible PR for Wells Fargo that I think they still, this that was years ago, Trust and still yeah. have issues with people trusting them now. Um, and so let's talk about what psychological security doesn't look like and how Jeremy, I mean, Jeremy and I aren't perfect. We are doing better now because of all the mistakes we've made. But I think when we were talking, we could think of some examples where psychological security wasn't there and the repercussions were really bad for the business. So one is um, taking goals to an absurd degree. Um, and you know th- that's where the metrics, like metrics at all costs cause issues. Right, so that's where your turns are done, but things are messy, and then your tenants move in, and it's a disaster. <laughs> um, Jeremy, you were talking about uh, payables. There, yeah. So this is just an example of uh, a cover your ass kind of a thing, where an employee will do something, um, and their intention is not to do something poorly. It's just to make sure that uh, they're following the the kind of the letter of the law and not really applying the spirit. So uh, in the in the case of collections, let's say you're, you're collecting rents, 
Um, really importantly, the idea is that if somebody's late, it is to give follow-up and make sure that we're making an effort to collect the money. Actually uh, collect they Actually collect it. So if it's not the right person or it's somebody who maybe doesn't have that psychological uh, stability that they, they, they need to feel to, to really perform well, it, the, the, the mistakes, they're not even mistakes, they're just, they look like laziness. So for instance, following up uh, can take the, can, uh, for uh, collections, can take the shape of a phone call, an email, um, it, I mean, it a text could, message, a text message. It could even mean, you know, going to the house and checking in on them. Right. I mean, that's theoretically possible. Um, and maybe it's one of the escalation points. But what it isn't is that when you like in our case, we had a list of anybody that was overdue on their payments and the responsibility of uh, the employee was to follow up with that list. Every person on that list every week or whatever time frame you've got. And so what they would do is send an email, which I think actually is appropriate. If your system doesn't do it automatically, that's kind of too bad. But they, what they would do is they would send an email. And then the next week, they would send an email. Fast forward to, to let's say five, six weeks, they're sending emails. So there is a paper trail and they are actually doing what they're supposed to do, which is to technically follow up. But that's not what the spirit of following up with with a tenant is. The, the spirit of a follow-up is to call them, make a next effort, S ratchet up the effort so that the tenant, in this case, understands that it is actually time to pay. Because the, it's, it's really, in this case, it's unfair to the tenant because we haven't really made a strong effort to collect. Maybe the email changed. I mean, there's a lot of things that can happen. Um, and before you know it, they're getting a 30 days notice. So they have great notes in the system. They showed that they followed up three times and we gave them the flexibility on how, but they just didn't do it in the most effective way. Another way that people who are emotionally insecure at work would be hoarding information to save their job. So this is when someone new starts and nobody will help them. So you know you have a culture where there isn't psychological security if people are saving their job by hoarding information. Or if you're focusing on reporting and looking good to managers uh, and not focused on results, um, this is where the execution is total crap. We've had this with managers who like lie to us and make it sound, things sound great to us, but their employees are fighting with each other and they're telling each other that they're gonna lose their jobs if we make subtle changes. And those are all indications of a cultural problem and a lack of psychological security. So what can you do? What can you do to solve these problems that really make, I mean, make work so unfun? Like how unfun is it to work with people who are hoarding information and scared to lose their job and just doing the bare minimum, but checking the boxes, it's the worst. So when people have psychological security, they're more fun. And any of those people, if that's the way your culture is, they're not gonna help you in your um, strategic planning. They're not gonna think creatively about what the next step is for the business to move forward. You can't be creative when you're scared for your job. 
And so that's why the psycho creating an environment of psychological security is important because it will help them really collaborate in a more fun, interesting way to move your business forward. Which has a uh, another really positive effect of when you have people in this space where they feel like they can participate in anything um, because there's not gonna be any blowback or anybody making fun of them, um, uh, you get to know them a little bit better because that's more of a genuine person that you're dealing with. They're not they're not presenting sim always the uh, the guarded version of themselves. They're they're exposed. They're talking. They're throwing out ideas. Mm -hmm. They giggle with you. You know, and and the people you work with, it's just is generally a better workspace workplace if you like each other. Yeah. So the goal is that everyone should have a belief that no one will be punished or humiliated for speaking up with ideas, questions, concerns, or mistakes. So how do you make sure that that happens? Pay attention when they talk to you. So if we're talking about remote workers, if you're on Slack or doing email while someone is talking, they can tell. And when we do that, it doesn't create an environment of psychological security and they don't feel heard. Um, another one it, that can help them is, I don't know if you all ever do this, but active listening. I read a book on this like a bazillion years ago when I first was starting my career and it is so helpful. Active listening? Active oh, listening. Yeah. So you're like restating what someone said to ensure that you're understanding what they're saying. I did this, I remember specifically helping when we had remote professionals and clients and there was some kind of conflict and I would get both people's sides and have to kind of determine a solution based on both people's experience or their sides of the story. The act of listening showed me that I was so wrong the first time I heard what people said. So wrong on my interpretation of it. And when you active listen, you can really get to the the brass tacks of what the problem yeah, is. Yeah, you recalibrate live as opposed to maybe putting some effort in after the conversation, bringing it back to them later with some sort of a solution, figuring out that it wasn't actually what they were trying to accomplish, and then having to restart the whole process. Here's another one. So avoid blaming. So I read that book by... Oh gosh, Jocko Wilkins, I think it is. Um, the Extreme Ownership book. Oh yeah. Changed my life. So anything that happens at the company that goes wrong is ultimately my fault. And by demonstrating it's okay to make mistakes and that I make mistakes and I own the mistakes that I make and you own them, that it teaches them that they can own the mistakes too. So for instance, uh, we had a guy, he, he, we have a Mexican podcast and he was doing the shorts and he was supposed to bleep out some of the profanity because culturally it's not good to have that. I don't, sometimes we screw that up, but. But anyway, in Mexico, it's frowned upon in professional um, places. So he had to bleep it out. He didn't bleep it out. And when he told me, hey, I made this mistake, there were two versions of the video, and I posted the one with the swearing. I had one that had the bleep out. I was so happy because I was like, he has this psychological security to just admit he made a mistake. And I felt like I had been a good manager because I had taught that and instilled in them like, hey, we all make mistakes, progress, not perfection, it's okay. Let's move forward, let's do this right. Yeah, and uh, really in order to get to anything that looks like excellence or perfection, uh, there's a process to get there and it is through a minefield of mistakes. I mean, you really, I mean, there's even an argument where you should promote mistakes, so, like in the like in cold calling. You need to fail so many times before you can get a positive result. And mistakes are kind of, 
should be a pretty cheap way of helping your employees get better. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if you have good training and you have good procedures, you can minimize that. And if you have procedures, then you just make a little tweak to it because there's been an opportunity where you could figure out the way to do it better because it didn't work. And somebody, like in this case, would have fessed up and said, and, and then it becomes just a mine for information. And, and you know, we have a part of our, we everyone in our company is in a level 10. And level 10 is like a weekly meeting with your team uh, because we use the EOS framework. But at any rate, during these meetings, they all have an agenda. The agenda is the same for every team. And part of the agenda is the clearing exercise. Now, trust is harder to build when you have remote teams because you're not with each other. You don't see each other at like the food festival in your local, like, oh my God, the Vietnamese food was amazing. You just don't have like these moments that you would have if you had a local team. You know, your cousin doesn't know their sister in law, you know, the whole thing. So you have to proactively build trust. So in our level 10 or weekly meetings per team, we have a part of the meeting that's left for clearing exercise. And this is a moment in the meeting where you get to uh, talk about the things that bothered you about your other teammates, or you can apologize for a way that you behaved at a previous meeting or in a previous interaction. And just having the space, which is basically space to be like, okay, who messed up and we got to talk about it, creates an environment where we don't blame each other, but we take responsibility for ownership. We forgive one another and trust can be built. And I think that's how you create an organization with psychological security so people feel like they can say things that might get shot down, but they won't be humiliated by it. And we can admit problems and mistakes. Another great thing to teach, especially if you have a remote team. So we have to remember that virtual assistants who live in emerging markets, they're like more scared of their survival than you and me. So making mistakes can be like catastrophic in their mindset. So they're it takes a little bit sometimes to get it out of them, which you would not agree. Oh, I would totally agree. I, and yeah, it's it's in, really important to not make uh, that. Yeah, I agree completely. So That's they're protecting the their downside maybe more than American would because there's just not a safety net. So creating that psychological security is even more important for them. Um, but knowing that you won't get fired, knowing <laughs> that your life is for making a mistake and the fear of making a mistake is sometimes what drives the the cover your ass kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. That's it's a it's a safety mechanism because I can always just say, hey, look, it said to do this, and boy, they did the they did the bare minimum, but in that particular case, that wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. For instance, right. And so so just keep that in mind if you're working with remote teams. But another thing, and I forgot. I think I had a train of thought, but I forgot where it's going with that. But we'll talk about the next one, which is nip negativity in the butt. I have been slow to do this in the past, and I've learned my lesson. And we're like on it, like white on rice now, <laughs> because for instance, we had this town hall where everybody in the company uh, joins a call. It's thirty minutes ish, 
and we have people on each team talk about the successes of the team that they they're on and so we want people to every you know everyone's scared on it because it's like their first time public speaking and we're progress not perfection we just want you to stand up and say what did your t team do this month that was successful who's new on your team show us your dog that kind of thing so um and it's so beautiful because the team like really sends each other like emojis and all this love during the meeting and it's like super big love fest it's super positive vibes and i guess after we had our uh, one recently somebody who was kind of in a higher up position was making fun of another person for all their positivity during the call kind of like chastising them making fun of them a more senior manager was like not having it so they wrote that person up they kicked them off of the call and just as a way to make a point that we don't do negativity here. We're not gonna, we're not gonna make fun of people for being positive about their job or the business or their coworkers. If you want That's negativity, if you want if you want negativity, go on to cable news. Done. <laughs> done. You have your whole social media feed for yeah, that. Yeah. Don't bring it to work. Don't bring that to work. Um, the other way, so another thing is being open to feedback. So I mean, ask your employees, what do you like about my management style? What do you not like about my management style? The more gracefully we can take feedback, the more psychological, psychologically secure they will be to bring up problems at the organization. Uh, what else do you think, Jeremy? Well, I mean, I just had an example to include the team in the decision-making, having teams be a part of it. Um, we, we had a, is actually a huddle in the morning and there was a particular problem that came up and I just posed the question to him and it was fun. We had a really good conversation about what we could do to fix this thing. And, and then sure enough, that ended up being the decision. We rolled it out and it was done. And it, it really is fun because everybody, you know, there's five people in the call and somebody had a good idea publicly, you know, in our group and they're like, yeah, okay, let's do that. I know what I was gonna say before we went. I went into something about emerging markets and people protecting their downside. A way to teach your team to just say what's on their mind without being scared or holding back is allowing them to say, hey, not all ideas are good ideas. At the start, yeah. If you preface your idea, not all ideas are good ideas, and you say that, and you let your team say that, then they're more willing to take the risk of saying an idea that gets shot down. As a manager, another thing that I learned is instead of saying no, but you say yes and. Mm -hmm. So like, let's say somebody has an idea and you're kind of like, mm, I don't know about that. You could just be like, yes. And, and then you say your idea afterwards to build on their idea. And it sounds so much better and provides that more confidence building positive language instead of no, but. Yeah, and it's honest because that was whatever it was that they said is what triggered the and the and but or no, the not, next the yeah not and, uh, yeah not and plus <laughs> yes and yes and yes and um, the other thing and I want to give Jose our COO kind of a shout out for this one but he promotes the coworkers managing their own problems before they bring it up to managers. So like, he, go ahead. One of them, if somebody, this was the first one at our call center that was really useful. It was having the agents work amongst themselves 
to find replacements for anything that made it so that they couldn't tend to a shift. It could be something like my kid is sick. Well, that's fine, family first. Um, we just ask them to go work with their friends and peers to build those relationships and rely on one another because it's just another, it's another way of um, establishing bonds, especially in a virtual world, that are real. They have real, not even, not consequences, um, have a real bite in making each other's lives better. Mm-hmm. And then promoting that, it's kind of like, I don't know if y'all have teenagers, those listening, but when you solve your teenager's problems, it never goes well. <laughs> right. They, they just yeah. want you to like listen and be empathetic, but not solve their problem. And then that, according to all the parenting books, look, I'm not the expert here because my... Wasn't it also uh, uh, men are from Mars, women are from Venus that said the same thing about women? I don't know. That book yeah. has been like debunked a million times. But but with teenagers, you just like listen empathetically. You let them solve their own problems. And by letting them solve their own problems, you tell them uh, either directly or non-directly, I trust you. You got this. You totally can solve this on your own. And when we trust our employees to make good decisions, it causes that psychological security. Now, so, so it's similar to parenting, I guess, in that way. So how would you wrap this up, Jeremy, to providing psychological security? Um, I, especially people like around my age level and older, it's uh, it feels a little wishy-washy because it used to be coming up that there was supposed to be some sort of a hierarchy. Um, and there does have to be some sort of a hierarchy, but the pyramid has got um, um, gotten less steep, you know, uh, in the in the org chart. And a nice way of really relating to the kids these days <laughs> is by caring about them. But there's other benefits too. Like you like the like I'd mentioned, you like the people you work with. You end up being friends. You go to a town where one of your employees is. You go to dinner or something like that. It's just a better life. Mm -hmm. So providing that psychological security, I think is even more important in today's day and age because I, I'm i on Twitter all the time and I'm looking at the AI tools on there and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, AI is gonna change the world in so many different ways and it is. And if we wanna have an adaptive culture that adapts to the changes in business, which are coming faster and faster at us, we need an environment where people feel safe to say what is on their mind, to promote their ideas, to say, hey, not all ideas are good ideas, but I checked out this new tool and I think it might be interesting. And we need to be more collaborative and we actually have to be better managers than we ever have had to in yeah. the past so that we can confront today's challenges in a fast and efficient way. And the interesting thing is this all sounds like very touchy feely and maybe like not professional or not business in the historic way yeah. to your point, Jeremy. Mm -hmm. um, but the more that we are in touch with our employees, psychological security, mentality, feelings, it looks like the research shows the better the outcomes at biz in business. Yeah, I guess maybe one way of identifying it, and this is just something uh, that pops in my head, because I've run into it where people, business owners, let's just say, have a default 
in their mind of if something isn't going well, well, we should just get rid of somebody. Or like if they're in this, there's like this mindset of treating people as widgets. Like if you find yourself there, you find yourself being proud of yourself because you can separate from what the personal easily, eh, it's a hard fit in the where the future is going. Well, and it's bad for culture in the long run. Yeah. Now, it's not to say that they should you should have lower expectations. It is to say that you need to be a little, maybe a little more honest with them and letting them know what it is they can do to make them um, self-fit a little better in your team. There's some energy that goes into it, but um, in a remote world, it's just more and more um, necessary to take a proactive approach at doing that. So that's a wrap. We'll see you next time on Bootstrappers. Everyone wants to be a part of something bigger than themselves, but how do we do that? As leaders, it's your job to make your team feel like they're part of something better. And we're gonna help you do that. In the show notes, click on the link to download our free PDF with 20 ways to make your remote professionals feel like they're part of the team. Perfect.